All right. Good evening. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. I don't know if you were here the last time I was invited to speak, and it was a blessing um, to be able to bring the Lord's Word. The subject was a little hard. Does anybody remember what it was? Blessed are the persecuted for the sake of righteousness. You remember that? Some of you were here, I know. But now I'm coming up with a follow-up sermon on sin. And you might be saying, how does he connect these things? Blessed are the persecuted. That's one that's not the most happy sermon to preach. But I think what the Lord has been laying on my heart in recent months and years is that day may be coming in this land. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But I found a text that connect both of these because another concern of mine is when persecution comes, will we hold fast and be faithful and not sin in order to get out of it? And all of a sudden, I'm reading, and 1 Peter 2 brings these both together. So let me, if you don't mind, we'll look at starting with verse 18 of 1 Peter 2 and read down to verse 25. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls." Did you notice how the two are together in this passage? Suffering for doing what is right, standing firm, being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And then he brings up the issue that Christ not only bore our sins, giving us forgiveness on the cross for every one of them, past, present, and future, but also to give us life 
to die to sin in order that we might live to righteousness. Interesting how those two in this passage go together. So here's the title for this message. And by the way, this message is going to fit very well for those of you who might be thinking of starting Sean's new class this coming Sunday on overcoming sin. I think the other thing I wrestled with in recent months and years is when persecution starts, and I see it even happening now, will the believing church and the believers in the church stand firm in a walk of righteousness? Or will they start giving in? And will they start coming up with teachings that excuse sin? And say, well, sin's not that big a deal for a believer. They've all been paid for. Don't worry about them. That's going to be something that's going to be facing the church, and I think is now. So here's the title of this sermon. The ongoing heinousness of sin. The ongoing heinousness of sin, even when committed by us, a true believer. And heinous, if you looked it up in a dictionary, you would get some other words like this, in case you're not familiar with that word. Odious, reprehensible, hateful, wicked, evil, detestable. Sin will never change, whether it's done after you come to know Christ, whether it's before you know Christ. Sin will always be sin and hated by God, hated by God. It's rebellion against him. And I think tonight what I'd like to do as we go through this is make a strong case for the believer taking a look at sin and battling sin. That's what Sean's class is going to be about, overcoming. We can't sit back and take sin lightly because we've been forgiven. Do you know that there were people who were believers that died because of heinous sin? 1 Corinthians 11 in the Lord's Supper tells us, because of the way some of you are coming to the Lord's table and because of the sin you're bringing in and not dealing with, some of you are asleep, some of you are sick, And some of you are weak. You've come under God's discipline because you haven't treated sin properly. And the word asleep is is very significant. It doesn't mean you're like some who might go to sleep in the service. Not you tonight, I'm sure. But some do fall asleep in the service. That's not what our Lord meant. It was a soft word to picture death. Do you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? What did you learn about them? I looked at what John MacArthur has to say on a lot of these verses, and I'm going to bring before you. And in this one, like a lot of us, he supposes that Ananias and Sapphira were both believers, a part of the body. And what happened to Ananias is he gets to the point, he sees everybody selling property and giving it all. He promises to do that to the Lord and then lies to the Holy Spirit because he only gives half 
and he keeps half back, but he lets the word get out, I've given it all. And what happened to him? Because of his sin, his life was taken. Because of her sin, his wife's life was taken. And that was sent a real message to the church in that day that God still feels in the assembly, you better take sin seriously. Take it seriously. Now remember, as I begin this, and I'm still in the introduction like Scott, I've been listening to him now for several months, and um, I noticed that he takes a while to introduce, so let me take a little bit longer. This passage that we're looking at, I want you to look at verse 24 again. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Boy, that is a wonderful message for believers, isn't it? He not only bore past sins, as I said, he bore all sins that we have ever committed, are committing now, and will commit in the future. And believers, we will sin, will we not? Isn't that what 1 John says? If you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. All of us will. But the question is, how much? And how do we deal with it when we fail and when we sin? Do we treat it the way that God wants us to? But that's, that's the first thing about this great salvation. He bore all our sins. And it's interesting to me, Several years ago now, if you were in this church, we were here during the winter and probably through April. We were snowbirds from Colorado attending here. And I think it was Pastor Roy who said, look, there's a couple weeks before Easter, will you preach? And I preached a message. I felt led to preach a message on Christ and his payment for our sins, his death on the cross. And I think if I remember rightly, I came out of Psalm 22, in which Isaiah is quoted, in which we see those words, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, we normally think of Christ when he died on the cross, of the suffering he did in his physical body. He had nails driven through his hands and his legs his ankles, his feet. He was left there without being able to breathe. It was horrific, dying physically. But I remember when I was preaching on that text and preaching about his death on the cross that I often don't pay much attention to the price he paid spiritually and eternally for me, for you, for everyone that he's ever died for. Think of that. He bore the Father's wrath for our sins. He bore them. Not just the physical part of it, but spiritually when he cried out, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew. But he was letting us know what he had to suffer for my sin, for your sins, for every one of them. Think of what it would be for yourself if you had not come to Christ and on the day of your death where you would go, to Hades 
awaiting for final judgment, and then being cast into the lake of fire with Satan and the Antichrist forever. So Christ died for my sins. He bore the wrath that I was due. Now multiply me times everyone that he died for since Genesis chapter 1. How much wrath was that? How much did our Savior have to endure for our sins? And he willingly did it. A perfect Savior. Jesus Christ, a man without sin. Not even the thought of sin. Much less the commission of a sin. And he bore them. That is a sobering thought to think about. What made his suffering necessary? God can't overlook sin. And sin is rebellion against him. Sin is evil. This is what Satan has been about since Genesis chapter 3. He's, he tried it in the beginning. He seduced Eve with sin. And then Adam. And he is in the business of doing the same thing today. Even with believers, he seeks to get us to fall. He seeks to get us to think, well, sin is really not that bad. After all, it's paid for. It is bad. It's as bad now as when Jesus went to the cross and paid for it. It is always a strike against God. It is taking his word and not taking it seriously. That's what sin is. But now secondly, I want you to notice the second half of that verse again. Because here's where we're going to go. He not only bore our sins on the cross, but he did that in order that not only would we be forgiven, but that we might die to sin. Die to it. No longer live in it. No longer be under its control and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. You know what happens when we become a believer, right? We are saved. We become a new creation, a new creature in Christ. In our inner man, in the spiritual part of us, we're born again. We are born from above. We become brand new. The old Dwight Brown in spirit form is gone. And the new Dwight Brown is in its place. But we still live in a body that's waiting to be redeemed. That's waiting to come to that day when it will be matched up with my inner man and no longer be tempting me to sin. I don't know about you, but as I get older, my body is a terrific tempter. It gets tired more easily and it says, oh, you don't have to read the scripture today. Just take it easy. You don't have to pray today. Just, you know, take your time. You're old. No, that's not true. I need the word every day. I need to be in prayer every day. He gives me strength, and I can pray as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. He says, I am praying that you might be strengthened in the inner man, in your spirit, by the spirit, with power. 
so that Christ might dwell in your hearts, your inner man, through faith. Listen to this passage out of Romans. If you want to turn there with me, you're welcome to do that. Romans chapter 6. And I want to read just a few verses out of this passage. Paul, after at the end of chapter 5, saying it was as through one man's sin, disobedience came upon all. Through one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. And then he adds this. It's all by grace. So when you get to chapter 6, he says, what shall we say then? By one man's work, we have been made righteous. That's wonderful, Paul. By grace. So he says, so then are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. Translated in the Greek, that's God forbid. No believer should ever think it's okay to continue in sin because of grace. Because he's paid for all of them. Never. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, the man part is the inner man, our old man, what we were before regeneration, was crucified with him that our body of sin, that is the outer man, might be rendered powerless. What happened to us when we became a new creature in Christ is that we not only were made new, but given power to overcome the temptations of the outer man, the body. No longer to become, to be rendered powerless, we might be rendered powerless and no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. This is the amazing thing that Peter also tells us in these verses. He not only bore our sin and forgave you, but he died to give you life. He died to give you righteousness. We take sin seriously. We must take it seriously. Satan is still trying to hold people in sin that are not believers. Satan still is trying to get believers to stumble and to sin against a holy God. So how do we think about sin as believers? Yes, we are thankful that Christ has paid the price for that. He bore the wrath of God so that we don't have to do it. What a, what a marvelous thing. What he suffered, I will never fully contemplate in all eternity. What he did on that cross and bearing what I was doing, what you were doing, and what thousands and millions that he died for have done. So how should we think about sin? Should we abhor it, hate it, realize what it cost our Lord, use what he has given us to overcome it? Should we make every effort to appropriate his grace to defeat it in our lives when we are tempted? 
Or should we embrace the teaching of some in the church today? And they're there, and they're saying things like this. Our sins as believers no longer matter to God. They don't matter to him. He's paid for them. In fact, some of them are even saying things like, and by the way, my family particularly knows of people in churches that we have been in before that have fallen into this trap today that are saying these kinds of things. Not, not only that, that it doesn't matter to God anymore, but they're saying things like, you know, it would be sin to confess them because it would be a lack of faith. Why would you need to confess what's already been forgiven? Have you heard this kind of stuff? This is going on among Christians. There are people out there teaching it on the web. It's getting around. So here's what I want to do in our remaining time. And um, I'm not exactly sure when that is. I think it's probably somewhere around eight or nine. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Three things I want to cover with you. Three things. Some observations regarding this wrong thinking. And then a little bit of trying to give some possible explanations about why this has happened with even believers. Where did this come from? And then finally, look scripturally at what the Bible says about the heinousness of sin, even in the life of a true believer. First of all, some observations. As we said, some teach that all sins, or rather, some teach, as, as I just mentioned, that we don't have to confess them. We don't have to repent of them. We just, we just go on because they're dealt with. So here's some other things that go along with that. Some teach that all sins are not equally reprehensible to God. They say, oh yes, there, there are some big sins that, boy, he, he really doesn't like those at all, but small sins, mm, not a big deal. Now, how would you answer that? It is true that some sins are more heinous than others, no question about that. And even will bring greater judgment to people in hell. What about Judas? What did our Lord say about him? It would be better if you were never born than to do what you have done. This is a horrific sin. But it is not true that God is okay with lesser sins and not so much with the big ones. God doesn't want us to enjoy, to remain in, to practice any sin. Scripture says all sin is reprehensible and an act of rebellion against a holy God. We just sang about a holy God. It's an act of rebellion against him. We need to start thinking that way. Scripture says all sin, God hates. Plus, I want you to know this as we think about that. Even if you're talking about, you know, this is just a smaller sin. Smaller sins, if you don't confess them and deal with them, you know what they do? They often lead to the next level. And then if you don't deal with that properly, you might get to the really heinous sins. I'm going to give you an illustration that I shared with 
Jerry Schaefer's BFG class on Sunday, not as in, in as much detail as I did with them. But when I was pastoring in the state of New York near West Point, we had a young couple in our church, fairly newly married, several years. They had come to New York for their jobs. They started attending our church. His father was a pastor from the state that he was from in the Midwest. We got to know them. They were in the small group, the home group that I led. All of our elders led small groups in homes, and he was in mine. And one night, his wife didn't come home. They found her body the next day down near New York City where she worked. Some of us as elders, I was one of them, who rode with him there. And after waiting three or four or five hours, a detective came out and said, you don't, you don't need to wait any longer. You can go home. He won't be going with you because he's confessed to taking his wife's life. When I finally got to meet him several times in prison to find out what had gone on in his life, he said it started with a sin of unforgiveness. She started going with another guy and kind of left me for a while and then came back to me after he dumped her. So it started with unforgiveness. And then over time, it developed into hatred. And that hatred then developed into, I want to get rid of her, but I know that divorce is wrong. So I can't divorce her. So I'll find a way. And he thought he had mapped out a perfect plan, and they nailed him from the get-go. That's what sin can do. If you think a little sin is not so bad, little sins go to bigger sins, and bigger sins go to the biggest. He didn't start out that way. But when he wouldn't forgive, it led to hatred. And that led to this horrific act of sin. Some say that God views the sins of believers differently than he does the sins of unbelievers. And the answer to that is, where do you find that in Scripture? Sin is sin. It doesn't make any difference if I do it or an unbeliever does it. It is still reprehensible to God. It is still an act against him. It is sin. Whether it's believer or unbeliever. Thirdly, some say that since we are forgiven of all of our sins, ongoing sin, it just doesn't matter. And it would be wrong to confess it. Do you know what 1 John 1.9 says? It says if we confess our sins, and the idea there is continually, if we keep on confessing our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just before that, John has said, even believers sin. You must confess that. You must repent of it. You must start dealing with it and appropriate his grace to overcome it. 
Here's another thing. Some say to confront fellow believers with their sin is wrong because we all sin and God doesn't want us to judge one another. Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew 18? He said, if you see your brother in sin, you go to him with the idea of restoring him and delivering him. Jesus had just told the story about the shepherd who went for the lost sheep and left 99 here. He said, if you see your brother in the church and he's in sin, you go confront him. Then take two or three if he doesn't listen to you. Then take it before the church. And if they don't listen to the church, treat him as a tax gatherer and a Gentile. That's pretty serious about sin, isn't it? Pretty serious. That's what scripture says we are to do. And Paul says later, not only do you do it for the good of the brother or sister that's living in sin in the midst of the assembly, you do it for the assembly's sake because this sin is like leaven. It's like leaven. It permeates the whole lump. It will permeate throughout the church. Can you imagine a church that would refuse to do church discipline and allow someone to remain in their midst, living in open sin, saying, I'm okay, I'm a believer? Do you know what would happen in that church? People would begin to follow the same thing. They would take sin as not serious at all. It doesn't matter. The elders don't care. The body doesn't care. That's what would happen. And finally on this point, some say we must even lighten our view of sin to properly evangelize. Do you think Peter would have agreed with that in his sermon in Acts chapter 2? No, I don't think so. He speaks of the world hearing about sin in order that they can repent of their sin and come to Christ. Listen to Ephesians 5 7 to 12, and I'm going to read from the sheet that I have this printed out on. Paul says to Ephesus, therefore do not be partakers with them. He means unbelievers. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord and do not participate in their unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. We're to shine his light on the sin of the world. We're to talk about what the Bible says about sexuality and what God says about marriage. And we're not to shy from that. We're not to be hateful, but we're to expose. How can you lead somebody to Christ who's living in sin when they don't know it's sin and you won't tell them and they must repent of that and turn to him? That's silly. Someone who's saying that does not understand the Bible. That's the second point I want to go to now. Second some possible explanations for these unbiblical views that some believers are falling into about sin. Number one, they often come from an incomplete view of the purpose of God's plan of redemption. God's plan of redemption. And 
<clears throat> appreciation of why Christ died on the cross. Let me read to read you what um, John chapter 3, 2 to 9 has to say. And these are, these are powerful verses, so listen carefully. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we're children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, and no one, and I think what you can put there is practices, in other words, habitual sin. No one who abides in him habitually sins. No one who habitually sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God has appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot practice sin because he is born of God. He's a new creature. Yes, we sin, but we can't habitually live in it, practice it. There's a big difference between the two. We can sin but we can't abide in it any longer because we have been born from above. So as we keep on going through this, I want to bring you to another second point, possible explanations. They're just not reading their Bible carefully. Number two is they come from um, being immersed in our increasingly sinful culture. In other words, even as believers, what do we do? We have conversations with unbelievers. We watch TV programs. We go to movies. We read books from the world. We take sometimes the education that the world has to offer, and they insert what they want to. And we, we're on the Internet. Scripture makes it plain that we need to guard ourselves. Be careful. Be careful what you take in from the world. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, the world hated me and the world hates you because you're mine. Remember that relationship. We love the world. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to live godly so they will ask a reason of the hope that is within us. But we don't want to shy away from telling them about sin. We, we don't want to be so immersed in the culture that we begin to think, well, that's just the way everybody's living. No, it's not. Not at all. Thirdly, they can come sometimes from failure to spend time in the word for themselves in regards to their walk and what the scripture says, as Josh was talking about earlier, about sanctification. 
we're not only justified, but we are being sanctified. We're not only freed from the penalty of sin, we are free from the power of sin. And we are being conformed into the image of Christ. All scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped. That's the Greek word for perfect. You want to be perfect? You want to be transformed into the image of, of Christ? Then you stay in the word. And the other thing you do is you stay in prayer praying, Spirit of God, give me power today. I know I'm going to be tempted. I know I'm going to be in touch with the world. I, I need your grace, your power in the inner man so that I might overcome, so that Christ might dwell in my heart through faith. That's not just a once a year prayer. We need to be in the word daily, regularly. We need to be seeing how we should live and we need to be in prayer for the power to overcome. And then finally, fourthly, some of this I think has happened because of failure to understand that repentance and faith go together. We often say you just have to believe in the Lord, but the first thing is you have to repent and believe. Turn from your sin, acknowledge it as sin, confess it, agree with God about what it is, and then turn to him and put your trust in him because he paid for that sin. He bore that sin in his own body on the cross. So that brings us to the third point. If my watch is right, we've got a few minutes left, right? Okay. Here, here's the third point. Reasons why it is paramount for us to examine scripture about sin and a believer. Number one, sin destroys fellowship with God and keeps our prayers unanswered. Do you remember Psalm 66, 18? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What's he saying? I can't be walking in sin and treating it as nothing, just continually doing it, and expect God to answer my prayers and help me. It's not going to happen. Secondly, sin destroys the body of Christ and our witness to the world. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 6? It's another passage about church discipline. Listen to what Paul says. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. This is in the church. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, in order that the one who had done this deed might be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, 
with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. That's part of the purpose of church discipline is to bring that brother or sister to the realization that this is wrong. I can't continue in it. I can't stay in the church and fellowship. Paul's saying, I'll put him out where Satan can just have at him. And he will have no brothers and sisters to help him work through the sin that they're dealing with. That's what Paul says. For the destruction of his flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not Know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. It's not only bad for the believer. It's not only he that needs to be restored. It's the body that needs to be protected. I have a friend back in Colorado that told me he was in a men's Bible study for a long time. And he said every single week on a Thursday morning when we met for study and we had prayer, this one brother in the church would say, pray for me, I've been, I've been into pornography all week again. And he said it went on this week, and the next week, and the next week, and he said, finally I went to him, and I said, brother, I love you, but I, I hear this request every week and there's no victory. He said, I'll come along and I'll walk with you. I'll be there by your side, but there's one thing I've got to ask for you to do now for me. Give me the password to your computer. You know what he said to him? I will never do that. Did he want to be found out? Did he want his sin to be uncovered? Did he want help? The answer is no. And the whole body is going to be affected because people are going to say, this guy's coming every week and nothing is changing. He's practicing it habitually. What in the world am I to do or think? This is what is going on even in churches today. Thirdly, we grieve the Holy Spirit and quench his work, Paul says repeatedly. In passages like Ephesians chapter 4, there's this 1 Thessalonians 5, and then even over in, in Hebrews chapter 12. We quench the work of the Spirit. Number four, ongoing sin will reveal, if, it's, if it becomes habitual, that we have never, ever received life. That ought to be a, an eye-opener, an awakener to us. If I have no power, I'm not getting any victory over sin in my life. I may never have come to know the Lord at all. I want to read to you out of um, Hebrews. No, I'm going I'm to wait on that one. But you, you get the picture. Habitual sin. Listen to what he says in, in Hebrews chapter 10 on this, and I'll read it uh, real quickly for you. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire 
which will consume the adversaries. Now, the last one, unconfessed sin, not only will bring the discipline of God on our, upon us, but sometimes, as we've said already, that discipline shows up in the form of illness, weakness, or death, or death. That's what the passage in 1 Corinthians 11 about the Lord's Supper says. Sin unto death is also written about by John in 1 John chapter 5. He says there is sin unto death. Ananias, there is sin unto death, Corinthian body, because of your coming to the Lord's table where you are supposedly honoring him and lifting up his blood and lifting up his body and worshiping him, and you're coming with sin in your heart. And some of you are weak, and some of you are sick, and some of you have had a premature death because of your sin. The scriptures over and over say sin is not something to be trifled with, even by a believer. Don't ever think, I guess I, I would say think this way, think about what Christ paid, the price he paid for your sins. Think about when he was on the cross, what he received physically, but what his father poured out upon him the wrath of God for our sins. Think about that. Think about also that when we sin, we slander his name. You remember Psalm 23? One of my favorite psalms that I'll also often say to myself at night when I'm trying to get to sleep, trying to think of something in my mind to repeat to myself. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside calm or still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Did that ever hit you that way? He leads us in righteous paths for the sake of his name. Do you know what happens if you claim his name and you walk unrighteously and people see it? It slanders his name. It brings open shame to the name of our God. You see, he has given us all we need to know what sin is. He has given us all that we need, not only a new spirit, but the Holy Spirit living in me and you, residing there, the power that I need to overcome sin. He's given me the word to see what sin is, the power to overcome it, and he's warned me, Dwight, if you continue living in sin and, and you think it's okay and you think I'm just going to turn away and, and let you get away with that, you will come under my discipline. And it might even shorten your life. I'm not a God, even though you're my child. And even though my son died for all of your sins, I'm not a God who will just turn away and let turn the other cheek. Sin is sin. I hate sin. 
It's a product of Satan. He sinned from the beginning. He's the one who brought sin into this world. He's the one who's still trying to get believers to, to feel like, oh, it doesn't matter what I do. We have been saved to live to righteousness, to him. And sometimes the struggles that we're facing, the issues that we're having, the days that we're so despondent, depressed, it's because many times our life is not right before him. We're not living the way that he intended that we live, that he gave us power to live. We are not honoring his name and lifting it up. We're disgracing it. And so Ananias, Sapphira, it's time to come home. You lied to me. You lied to the Spirit of God. It was yours to keep, but you said you gave it all. I want the church to get a lesson from this. You know, another thing that we learn, too, in the scriptures, talks many times about earning rewards in heaven, heavenly rewards, how to earn them. But you know what it also says in 1 Corinthians 3? And I'm just going to read this uh, from my page of scripture. 1 Corinthians, beginning with 3.12. If any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or straw, let each man's work will become evident for the day. In other words, the day when the Lord returns, the day will show it. Because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be saved, yet so is through fire. How we live and how we treat sin has much to do with whether we will receive and hear, well done, well done, my faithful servant, when that day comes. That all depends on whether we built with proper material and in godliness, righteousness. We may end up with nothing there, no rewards. We will be there by the grace of God. But there is a price to be paid. So, brethren, we cannot take sin lightly. Even though I'm thankful every day that God's paid for all of it, we can't take it lightly. We can't just say a little of it is okay. It's abominable. It's heinous. It's rebellion against the lordship of God. We must hate it, recognize it when we see it, defeat it by the power of the Spirit. Repent and confess it quickly and never put his name to open shame. To finish well, we have to stay in the word. We have to stay in prayer. We have to stay on track 
every single day. I would encourage you tonight, don't let a day go by when the Lord has pointed out something in your life. You've lost your temper. Maybe with your spouse. Maybe with a child. You've said a word. You've, you've done something at work that you knew was not pleasing to God. It was sin. Before you go to sleep at night, confess it. Pray over it. Repent of it. Appropriate by prayer the power of the Spirit to help you do better the next day. And to go back and apologize if an apology is necessary. If you want to finish up like Paul, and I often read 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he says he's just about to be killed. He's just about to be martyred for his faith. And he says, I have fought the fight. I have finished the course. And thirdly, he says, I have kept the faith. I don't think Paul was saying he never slipped up. But I think what he was saying is I got back on track quickly. Paul had to confront Peter for his sin. Do you remember that? For the way he was acting when the Jews would come and he was there with the Gentiles and then he would move away from them when they were eating because Jews were there. He had to be confronted by Paul because that was sin. We all sin. But there's daily regular forgiveness. There is power to overcome, but it begins with the right attitude towards sin. Don't treat it as though it didn't matter. Even if you're a believer, it matters. God will discipline you. What father would not discipline his child, he says in Hebrews 12? God disciplines us because he loves us, and sometimes the discipline is hard but it's for our good. It's for our good. If you're here tonight and you're a believer and God is telling you about something in your life right now, the Spirit is speaking to you and saying, you know, what you're hearing from the Word, you need to take seriously. You need to deal with that. Before you go home, possibly, or before you go to bed tonight, get down before God and deal with it. Confess, repent, turn from it, appropriate his power to overcome. You have all that you need to live godly. You can't be a witness for Christ with sin in your life, ongoing sin that you have not dealt with. And the last thing I would say tonight is, if you're here tonight, and in your heart of hearts you know I'm not even a believer. I've, I've never had a new birth. I've never come to know the Lord. If God has spoken to you tonight about sin in your life and about what the Son has done for those that will repent and turn to Him, maybe tonight's the night. For me, back when I was a young lieutenant stationed at Lincoln Air Force Base, Nebraska, 
I came home one night from work, came in to see my wife and turn on TV that evening after dinner, and there were no clickers then. I'm that old. There were no clickers when I was a lieutenant. You had to walk up and turn that thing on. And guess who was on when I turned it on? Billy Graham. I had heard the gospel many times in my life, but that night I was mesmerized I couldn't turn it away. He had just started to preach. I stood there and listened to his whole message. And when it was over, went back to the bedroom, got down in the dark, and in tears confessed my sin and trusted Christ. And he changed my life. And he will change your life. And there will maybe be some elders or some of the staff here that would come up and pray with you if you want to come up this evening and get sin taken care of for eternity. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he bore our sins, every one of them, and he has forgiven us forever for all that we've done and will do. And thank you that he also died to give us life, that we might live to righteousness. We have all we need May we never take sin lightly. May we hate it, despise it, find it reprehensible, not continue in it, but by your grace confess it and continue to walk in the power of your spirit in a way that would please and honor you all of our days to be able to say with Paul when our day comes, we fought a good fight. We finished the course. We've kept the faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his honor and for his glory. Amen.